Hey everybody, it's Andy. Welcome or welcome back to the Gwinnett Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, we would love it if you would take just a moment to download the Gwinnett Church app where you can have access to all of our recent message content as well as find out about what's going on around here at Gwinnett Church. And the app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend. Most importantly, however, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. My name is Reed, um, and if we haven't met, um, yeah, I'm the lead pastor here, and uh, if you're new around here, we're so glad that you're here. Uh, as Brooklyn mentioned, uh, you picked a great uh, day to be here because we are beginning a brand new teaching series. It's called For God So Loved Gwinnett, and the series is all about um, how do we share the gospel with our community, and, and so as we're starting off uh, the series today, I wanted to just kind of talk to you uh, this morning about um, where this series came from. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about uh, how, how do these preachers think of these things? Where does it come from? Is there a book that they have that like tells them what they're supposed to preach? Uh, does somebody else assign it to them? Uh, there is a book and we just have the same content like from now until forever. And so we just like pick it out of here. But like, um, and so uh, there, we, we basically, you know, it comes out of our own personal times, conversations that we're having. But uh, this series specifically, I wanted to tell you uh, where this came from, where this was kind of birthed out of and the reason why uh, we're doing this series. And so uh, earlier this summer, I had the opportunity to go to UK and Ireland and spend some time with uh, some other pastors that are in our network of churches. So we are a part of a network of churches around Atlanta and then uh, other churches uh, around the country and now around the world have joined in on this network uh, of like-minded churches. And so we're a part of this network and I went over to the UK and Ireland to spend time with some of the pastors that are doing ministry over there. And uh, the hope was that we would get together, we'd be able to encourage each other uh, share a little inspiration, uh, share ideas, what's working, what's not working, how do we uh, better love, serve, and reach our communities, right? And so we went over there, and uh, it was myself and another pastor from North Point. Uh, his name's Lane, and so uh, the two of us went over there, and, and we got to spend some time with these, these pastors and these leaders, and it was incredible. And um, while we were over there, though, one of the days that we were there early on, uh, we were uh, we got together with about ten other leaders um, in in London, and so we were sitting together and just kind of they were giving us a, a state of the church. They were kind of telling us, "Hey, this is the condition of the church in the UK," and we we're having this conversation, and they're they're sharing with us, and they were they were sharing some stuff that was honestly it was kind of it was kind of sad. It was kind of discouraging. Um, they, they were talking about how uh, the church, like in, in the UK and in their context, that attendance has declined, that uh, trust, uh, they've lost trust uh, with the community and with a lot of the people in their country. Um, their influence has declined, it's on, uh, is, is on the way down. And, and so they were like, man, it's like, you know, the, the statistics they were sharing were staggering. Uh, the number of people that um, that, that go to church or that call themselves followers of Jesus, like that's taken a huge dip. And so they're telling us this and while they're sharing all this like kind of bleak news with us, we're like, oh my gosh. And uh, uh, while we're having this conversation, Lane, the other pastor that I was with, he asked the question, he said, hey, what would you guys say to us? You know, we're, 
we're in the United States and we're in the Bible Belt South, so we're probably, I don't know, 20, 25 years behind you guys as far as culture goes, uh, secularization of culture. He's like, you know, what would you say to us? What encouragement would you give to us? What would you, um, you know, what, what, what instructions or, you know, whatever would you give to us? And uh, one of the guys, he, you know, Lane has asked the question, we're sitting near each other, and, um, but he doesn't look at Lane, he looks right at me. Or at least that felt like that, you know what I mean? We're like, and so like, uh, he looks right at me and he says, don't let it happen. And I was like, okay, you know what I mean? Like what? Like, of course, right? Like that's what we're trying to not do, right? And, and, but he goes, he goes, don't let it happen. He was like, seriously, don't let it happen. Like whatever you can do, like don't, don't let this this drift, don't let this dip, uh, don't, don't let yourselves slip into this. Don't let it slip that far. He was like, don't take your eyes off of the main thing. Don't get caught up pursuing power, pursuing popularity, pursuing prosperity, uh, pursuing politics. He's like, don't get uh, involved in platforming that stuff. He's like, keep the main thing, the main thing. He's like, make it your goal to love, serve, and reach people. He's like, don't take your eye off the prize. Don't get caught up chasing that other stuff. Don't, don't drift towards an insider focus, towards just keeping what you've got instead of reaching people that you haven't. He's like, don't take your eyes off the prize. Don't let it happen. Whatever you can do, whatever it takes, he's like, don't let it drift. And, uh, and y'all, I'm telling you, I was, I was shook. I was rattled. The conversation, that conversation that day, it, it stuck with me. I thought about it the rest of my time that I was there. I would lay awake in my hotel room and I would think about that conversation. Don't let it happen. I don't want that to happen. Uh, I don't wanna see what's happened to the church there happen uh, to the church here. I don't wanna see that happen in our own church and in our own community. And I just, I would lay awake and I would think about it. And it, it reminded me of this verse. It's in the book of Judges. And don't worry, I'm not gonna preach Judges today. That would be bleak. Um, but if you've, if you've ever read the book of Judges, if you, if you don't know what the book of Judges is, don't worry about it. But, like, but, but the, the book of Judges is kind of this tragic tale of what happens when people forget about and quit trusting in, quit following God and just do life on their own terms. And that's the entire book of Judges. And it's this awful cycle and the consequences of that. But the book of Judges begins in chapter two, verse 10. It starts with this little, there's this little verse in there. And this conversation reminded me of it. It says in, two, in Judges two, verse 10, it says, after that, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, it says another generation grew up who, neither, <clears throat> who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. After that, basically after there's this one generation that had the, the message and they knew about God and they knew what God had done, it says after that, there came a generation that didn't know anything about God or what he had done for them. And, uh, and y'all, I, I highlighted it. I mean, you can see it in my Bible. I, I highlighted it in my Bible and I wrote in the margin and I don't know, we can't even zoom in that close because it's tiny. And then even if we could zoom in, you couldn't read my handwriting because it's terrible. My mom used to say that meant I was a genius. And so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just that I'm lazy. So, um, but I wrote right there in the margin. I highlighted that verse and I wrote in the margin because oh, I was just thinking like, man, the stats are telling us that there's a generation that's coming that, neither, that will neither know God nor what he's done. And I wrote in the margin, not on my watch. Not on my watch. Like, please God, 
Help me. Don't let that happen on my watch. Not while I'm leading this church. Not in our community. And I, I'm crying. It's already the beginning of the sermon. We fill the baptismal with my tears. I'm like, good gosh. I'm like, y'all, you can tell. I'm, I am passionate about this. I, I, after that conversation, I, I, I highlighted that verse and said, not on my watch. God, for the sake of our kids, for the sake of our communities, for the sake of, of the world, the sake of people that need and deserve to know the good news that God loves them, forgives them, and wants a relationship with them, gosh, not on my watch. May it not be in our generation that the church fails in her calling to love, serve, and reach people. And because the world, you guys, desperately needs that message of Jesus. And the church, the church is, the ch- is God's chosen messenger to carry that message to the rest of the world. And I know, I know that the church is not perfect. Certainly our church is not perfect either. And I know that uh, as the church and as our own church that we've gotta take a long, hard look in the mirror and we've gotta own the areas where we've failed and fallen short because the reality is, you guys, when the church fails and falls short, people get hurt. And if that's your story today, I just want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. If you are here today and you were hurt by a Christian or by a church and you were hurt by somebody in the name of Jesus, I am so sorry. That should never happen. And so I know we got work to do and we are far from perfect. But I also know that when we get this right, you guys, when the church gets this right, when we love and serve and live out the teachings of Jesus the way that Jesus intended us to, it's incredible. When we, when we actually care for and serve the, the marginalized and the oppressed, when we become a voice to the voiceless, when we're known in our community more for what we're for than what we're against, when we, when we love and we serve and we invest and we invite and we reach out and we help and we serve the needs in our community and we heal and we deal hope, when we do those things, when we get it right, you guys, lives are better. Our lives are better. Families are better. The community is better. Our world is better when the church gets this right. And y'all, I don't want that to go away. I don't want that to go away, and I hope that you don't either. And so that's where this series comes out of, because y'all, if you can't tell, like right now, I am more passionate than ever. After those 11 days, it has stuck with me. I've just been thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it all summer. I've been praying, God, help us not on my watch. God, help us to be a church that, that fights the drift that they were talking about, that drift towards an insider focus, towards keeping rather than reaching. God, help us to fight that gravitational pull that every local church has towards just being insider focused, towards just just, just self and self-centeredness, towards what's in it for me, right? Like God, help us fight that drift. And I'm more passionate than ever about fighting that drift towards an insider focus because that inside focus, that, that kind of a church that only cares about what's happening inside our four walls instead of what's happening outside in the world around us, that kind of a church that goes against everything that Jesus was about and it goes against everything that Jesus expected us to be about. 
So that's the heart of this series. And I want you to hear it though this morning as we're kicking off this series, I want you to hear it from the words of Jesus, what it is that we're supposed to be about. I want you to hear it from him and not just from me. And so this morning, uh, I, I love it. If you, if you do have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, we're gonna be in John chapter 20. And so we'll be in John chapter 20. I'll be starting in verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. I've got you covered. I'm gonna put mine up on the screen and, and I'll doodle in it along the way and kind of show you some of the things that stand out to me. And so this morning we'll be in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. And while some of you are turning there, uh, I'll just go ahead and set the scene for what's going on in this conversation uh, that we're gonna jump into. So John chapter 20 is towards the end of the gospel of John. John uh, was a friend and follower of Jesus who actually, actually spent time with Jesus uh, while he was doing ministry on the earth. He was an eyewitness to the life and the teachings and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And as an older man, probably in his 80s, he decided, man, people need to hear about this. They need to know. There's going to be generations of people that come afterwards that need to know what it is that I got to witness. And so he, uh, he had it all written down. It's probably likely that he dictated it to somebody else who wrote it for him. And so in the Gospel of John, though, in chapter 20, this is towards the end of the Gospel of John, and, uh, and this is after Jesus' death and resurrection. And what we see is that um, up to this point, a few people, a few of Jesus' followers, some of the women and some of the men, they've actually seen the resurrected Jesus, but not everyone has yet. And so there are some of his followers that have just heard news. And so they were on their way out of the city or they were in hiding and now they're gathering together. And so they're all getting together because they've heard that some of, that some of their friends actually saw Jesus. And so they're having a conversation about it, a debate about it. Uh, some of them are going like, like, hey, we saw him, he's alive. Others of them are going like, no way, that can't be, but I want whatever you're on. You know what I mean? Like, that's crazy. Like, and so they're, they're having this conversation. Can it be so? And if it's true, what does that mean? for us. And that's where we're going to pick up the conversation. These, these, these people, they've gotten together, this small group of, of people that have been following Jesus, they've gotten together and, and, and we're going to jump into the conversation. So this is in John chapter 20, starting in verse 19. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, the doors are locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. So they're together, they're afraid because they've just witnessed Jesus be arrested and then beaten and then uh, executed. And so they're afraid of what the Jewish leaders might do because of their association to Jesus. And so they've, they're, they're in this place, they got the doors locked, they're hiding out uh, together, right? And so uh, th that's what's going on. And then it says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, when you're reading the Bible, um, this is just my recommendation. This is how I like to, I, like, you gotta put yourself in the scene, right? Because this scene is fantastic and it's also crazy what just happened. So they're in a locked room and they're having conversation and now all of a sudden, uh, Jesus, no knock, no door open, door still locked, and now Jesus is like in their midst, that's terrifying, right? It reminds me of the way that my three-year-old wakes me up, okay? 
You know what I mean? Like, like any parents in the room, like, like you're, you, you know, my three-year-old likes to wake me up. I'll be, you know, fast asleep, middle of the night uh, or early wee hours of the morning before my alarm. And all of a sudden uh, I will, you know, open my eyes and there he is, his face, like right next to my face and he's next to the bed and it's pitch black. And he's like, daddy. And you're like, oh, like, you know, like, you know, it's a ghost. You know, you like freak out. And he's like, can I play the iPad? And you're like, no. Why are you doing that? And why aren't you wearing any pants? Like, you know, he's like, because I went potty. And you're like, what? Hopefully not in my room. You know, like, it's just like terrifying, right? And it's the worst way to wake somebody up, right? Creepy, you didn't hear the door open, anything, right? And, and, and so you gotta imagine, this is, this is kind of the same thing, only I imagine Jesus is fully clothed. But like, um, so you gotta imagine though, this is a similar scenario, right? Jesus has just popped up in their midst. They're like, whoa, they were not expecting that, right? And so they're, they're, they were scared before, now they're really scared. Where did he come from? And, and Jesus, as he, as he comes in and he stands among them, right? He issues this greeting. He says, peace be with you. That was the common greeting um, back in that time and in that region of the world. And Jesus uses this word, it's shalom which is basically like, a, a, like an overall well-being, a wish uh, for someone's overall well-being, like wishing them well, right? And so um, that's what this shalom means. And so Jesus comes and he stands among them and he says, peace be with you. And, and it is a common greeting, but you gotta imagine it didn't feel common in that moment, not just because Jesus is just like morphed into the room, but like also like because the last time that they saw Jesus, like you gotta imagine how, this, how much this greeting carries weight because the last time they saw Jesus, he was being arrested and they were running for their lives. And so they... You know, they're seeing Jesus for the first time and they don't know exactly how the conversation's gonna go. I mean, have you ever, like, have you ever run into somebody unexpectedly, but the last time that you saw them, it hadn't gone well? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like maybe, you, maybe it was an ex, maybe it was a, a former boss, a former coworker, somebody you had to like let go or who let you go. Maybe it was a teacher who you had not had the greatest experience with or a coach who had like cut you or been really harsh to you. And, and now all of a sudden you see that person, maybe it was a friend or a former roommate and the two of you hadn't ended things very well. And now all of a sudden you see them like out and about you're in Kroger and you're just like rushing for the next aisle. You're like pancake mix, you know what I mean? Like, and you're like rushing to like, not like, cause it's oh, like, what's it gonna be like? Or you do the classic, everybody does this now. You just act like you're on your phone. You're like, yeah, oh yeah, you know, like in order to avoid the interaction. Cause it could be really, really awkward, right? This is like, Jesus is showing up and they're like, what is he gonna say? And he had every right in this moment, you guys. Jesus had every right in this moment to have been harsh and to have called them out to rebuke them. He could have looked at them. He could have showed up and said, hey, I can't believe you guys. Like, I cannot believe. I can't believe you dipped when I needed you most. I can't believe that you weren't there when, when my family needed you most. The only one of you that was there was John. He's the only one that gets a pass. Everyone else was gone. So I cannot believe this. Some of them even denied Jesus, even ever knowing him. So he had every right to have called them out in this moment, and yet he gives them this, this he extends to them this, this greeting, this offer of peace. He looks at them and he says, peace be with you. And it's like he's, it's like he's coming in and he's 
reestablishing relationship with that simple greeting. It's like he's coming to these guys and they were worried about what would Jesus think and now he's back and he just said, it's like he's saying like, guys, it's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're okay. I still love you. I forgive you. And I still want relationship with you. That is what this greeting, that's the implications that this greeting carries. Jesus is reestablishing relationship with these guys. And he's going, I love you, I forgive you, and I still want relationship with you. And there are some of you here today, and maybe you're here and you have wondered, what is God's posture towards me? What is God's disposition towards me? What does God think about me? And what I want you to know, what you see in the person of Jesus, is that that is God's heart and posture towards you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're from, God's heart posture towards you is that he wants to offer you peace. He wants you to know that he loves you, that he forgives you, and that he wants a relationship with you. That's his posture towards you. He wants to offer you peace, and if you'll, by, by grace, through faith, receive it, if you'll receive that offer of peace with God, what's amazing is that peace permeates every other area of your life and it leads you to be able to have peace with yourself and also that peace then begins to carry over into peace in your relationships. And that's the offer that Jesus extends. It's the good news of the gospel, that God loves us, that he forgives us, that he wants relationship with us, not because we're so great, but because he is. That's the good news of the gospel. And so Jesus offers them this peace. Conversation continues, the scene goes on. It says, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, John includes this detail, I think, because he wants us to know. One, Jesus shows him his hands and his side. He shows these guys that because he wants the disciples to know that it's really him. And then I think the reason why John makes it a point to record this moment where Jesus shows his hands and his side because he wants us, the readers and future believers, he wants us to know that this is a real encounter with a real Jesus, that this wasn't a ghost, that this wasn't a hallucination, that this wasn't some like metaphorical encounter with Jesus that they had, like some vision that they had while they were all praying and eating some weird pizza or something. Like this was like a, this was a real encounter with a real Jesus, and these guys are really, really pumped about it. And I think that's why Jesus shows them that proof, and I think that that's why John chose to record it, because he wants us to know it's a real encounter with a real Jesus. And I think uh, when we understand that, then we're led to take the next thing that Jesus says seriously and personally, because these are the actual words of Jesus, what he's about to say. Not a vision, not a ghost, not a hallucination, not a metaphor. This is a real Jesus, and these are his real words that are gonna come next. And they have big implications for what he expects of us and who he expects us to be as a church. So, goes on. Again, Jesus said, peace, peace. Peace be with you. So again, guys, I'm good, we're good, it's okay. I love you, I forgive you, right? Like I want relationship with you, that's established. He says, peace be with you. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, I 
I'm sending you. He says, as the Father has sent me into the world, now I'm sending you. Jesus shows up in this room to get these guys out into the world. Jesus has shown up in this room with the doors locked to get them out of the room and into the world. It's, it's kind of like that moment. Um, uh, do you guys remember when your parents first gave you uh, the keys to the car, like after you got your driver's license? Do you remember that moment? Or maybe if you're a parent in the room, maybe, uh, and your kids are older, maybe you remember more the handing off of the keys. And, and it's this mixture of like nervous and excited right? Well, maybe for the kids, for the parents, it's just terror. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, oh God. Uh, and so, but, but do you remember that moment when, when you first got the keys? I remember, I will never forget, right? The moment that, that I first got the keys to the car when I was 16. Um, my parents, they gave me the keys uh, to the car that would be mine. It was, uh, it was my mom's old 1990 Jeep Cherokee and it was forest green and tan interior. And uh, it had this weird electrical glitch that it turned off if somebody sat in the back seat of the car. And uh, which is amazing. I still think to this day that my mom did that on purpose. You know what I mean? She's not mechanically savvy, but it turned, like if anybody got in the backseat, it was like, and so um, it would turn off. So that way, I guess nobody could ride with me, right? Uh, And so, but I remember my parents giving me the keys and they were like, hey, you know, Spider-Man talk, like with great power comes great responsibility, ability, ability, you know, like, and so so they're giving me the keys to the car. And I remember my dad, he, he gave me 20 bucks and he said, go fill it up son. And like, that, like, isn't that crazy to think that back in the day, you could fill up an SUV with $20. Now you're like, that'll get me down the street. You know what I mean? Like, and so it, it, was, it was crazy though. Like he gave me 20 bucks, they gave me the keys and they, they sent me off and I was nervous and I was excited. And I remember my mom was terrified. I'll never forget my mom was standing on the front porch and she just like waved to me and cried uh, as if like, it wasn't my first time driving. She was crying as if I was being shipped off to war. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh, she does not believe in me at all, you know? And so, uh, but, but you know, I, I still remember that moment, right? Like it's, it's this rite of passage. It's this moment of trust. They're giving you the keys. And y'all, that's kind of what's happening here in this scene. Jesus has come back. He's resurrected. He enters the room and, and he reestablishes relationship, but he's also going, all right, guys, you can't stay in this room. I know it's comfortable here. I know it feels safe here. I know you know everybody in this room. I know that this is easy. I know that this feels good, but you gotta get out of this room for the sake of your family, for the sake of your friends, for the sake of your neighbors and and your coworkers and the sake of your community and for the sake of the whole wide world, which you don't even know about right now. He's like, you gotta get out of this room. I'm giving you the keys. And now my mission is your mission. My movement, it's now your movement. It's time for you to take the keys, get out of this room and go. He's like, you gotta go. You cannot stay here because everyone deserves to know that that same peace that I've offered to you is available to them. 
and everybody in your community and everybody in your workplace and everybody in your neighborhood and everybody in your sphere of influence, they deserve to know that there's a God who loves them, forgives them, and wants a relationship with them. And the only way they know is if you go. So I'm sending you. You gotta get out of this room and you gotta go. So Jesus looks at this group of guys and he goes, peace, we're good. Now get out there and let some other people know. Get out of the room. Just like the Father sent me, now I'm sending you with the same message. You gotta go. And there's a word for what Jesus is commissioning these guys to do. And it's a a word in the church world. And the word is evangelism, right? And, um, And there's a reason why we didn't put evangelism in the series title. We didn't say a series about evangelism because all two of you would have been here. You know what I mean? Like, uh, because when when we say the word evangelism, now this is what's crazy is, the word evangelism, just at its simplest term, it's translated from a Greek word uh, that just means to share good news, right? Which all of us enjoy doing. Every single one of you, you enjoy sharing good news. And yet when it comes to the gospel, it becomes our best kept secret, doesn't it? And so, and so evangelism means to share good news, but that's not what a lot of us think about when we think about evangelism. There's other things that come to mind more than just sharing good news. We hear the word evangelism and everybody, right? Like it feels scary, it feels uncomfortable. And probably it's because of what was modeled or taught to a lot of us about what evangelism is and what it looks like. For a lot of us, we hear that word evangelism and you immediately think of the street preachers that are outside of like the Braves game or the, the Falcons game or uh, the Hawks, but they're just there praying for those guys. And so like, but um, like, like you're just thinking like, whoa, like what, what like that is, that, is that evangelism, right? For, for, for some of you, you think about, you hear that word evangelism and you think about the people that come door to door in your neighborhood and you're like, it specifically says no soliciting. And you're like, but, but they're still at your door. You know what I mean? Like, and, and you think about that. I can remember my mom. My mom used to be so afraid of people coming to the door and uh, having a faith conversation that she would hide in the laundry room. And uh, I can remember as a kid being like, what are you doing? And she was like, go away. They can't know we're here. You know what I mean? Like she didn't want to have the conversation. She's like, I'm sweating, you know? Like, and so like, like for some of us though, that's what we think about when we hear that word evangelism and we're thinking like, oh, door-to-door sales, like, ugh, right? Like, that doesn't sound great at all. For some of us, when we hear that word evangelism, we, we maybe think about, you know, this, this like arguments or debates, like, oh man, I gotta go and like argue people or debate with people and gotta, you know, do the thing like when you see people on YouTube, like stopping and talking to people in the street and having these debates. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, that just sounds awful. And like, what if they're smarter than me? And what if they don't, what if I don't have the answers? And so we're just like, I'll just leave it to the, the professional Christians and, and preachers and things like that. Like, Ugh. For others of us, when we hear evangelism, right? Like what, what we tend to think of is like, you know, this idea that somehow we've got to like scare or shame or guilt people like into believing in God. Like we gotta, we gotta let them know how bad they are so then they want to turn to God and love him. You know what I mean? Like, and, and so like, you know, it, it, it's, it's like we, we, we think that that's our mission. I remember they, uh, that a friend of mine or two friends of mine, they tried this tactic on me when I was in the 10th grade. And I'll never forget this. I was in the 10th grade. They were like, hey, you should come to church with us. And I was like, eh. And they were like, well, 
it's an event. There's gonna be inflatables, hot dogs, and hot girls. And I was like, okay, all right, well, I'll be there, you know? And so, uh, and so I was like, I'm gonna go. And I showed up and there were uh, inflatables and there were hot dogs and there were girls, you know what I mean? Like, nah, I'm teasing. You're beautiful on the side of the Lord. And so like, um, but, but I went and, and like, you know, yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, like the full length, you know, whatever. So like, and so, so we went and I got there and, and they let us like hang out for like 30 minutes. And then 30 minutes in, they were like, all right, now everybody inside for the presentation. And I was like, what is this? And my friends were like, oh, it's cool, man. And I was like, okay. And I went in and, uh, and there was this drama that they were putting on and it was called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And I was like, what is this? And the premise of this, if you've never seen such a thing, is they do this drama and there's the good kids in the drama and they're the kids that like get up and read their Bibles and they're like, you know, really good like kids. And they get into a car accident with these other kids. They're bad kids. And the kids that are like drinking and smoking and partying and sleeping with their girlfriends and all that kind of stuff, right? You know, and uh, which is all the stuff I was doing. And so I was like, okay. And these kids get into a car accident and they die. And the good kids, these angels, lights go up, it's white lights. God welcomes them, come on in, you know? And they're like, yes. <laughs> then there's a turn and they show the kids, all the kids that were like me, that had messed up, that didn't have their act together, yada, yada, yada. Lights go down. <laughs> Red lights come up. <laughs> the devil comes out. <laughs> you know, and he's got all these other guys that are dressed in black and they're like pulling the kids and the kids are like, you know, and I was like, oh my gosh. And then the lights come up and the pastor's like, now, which one are you? And you're like, oh. <laughs> now at this time we're gonna bow our heads and close our eyes. And I was like, no, oh, you know, I'm out. I went and hid in the bathroom for 30 minutes until they'd been done like dunking all these kids. I was like, nah. It was terrifying, right? And for some of us, though, that's what comes to mind. We think like, oh my gosh, like, is that what I gotta do? I gotta do that, ah, right? Like, I don't know if I won't cut out for that, you know? So for some of us, that's what we think of when we think about evangelism. For others of us, we just, we, when we hear evangelism, it makes it seem like we're treating people like projects. Like they're like a box to check or like a problem to solve. It just feels icky. For, for others of us, like it's, it's not just that evangelism is scary or nerve wracking, but there's some of us in here and because of what we've seen or what we've experienced, we're, we don't just think evangelism is scary, we think it's wrong. As a matter of fact, there's a study that just came out uh, recently in the past couple of years uh, by Barna Research Group, and you can look this up. And the Barna Research Group uh, did this study amongst Christians to kind of just get a temperature gauge for where Christians in, uh, in the world are at on a bunch of different issues. And they asked this question uh, about evangelism and uh, the, the, the stats are pretty shocking. 47% of millennial Christians, so these are my people, right? 47% of millennial Christians, and they didn't go down further to like Gen Z and stuff, but I would imagine it's similar. 47% of millennial Christians don't just think it's scary. They actually said that they think that it's wrong to share your faith. They think it's wrong, like morally wrong to share your faith, your Christian belief with, with somebody else. And I'm not hating on that. Like I'm, what I'm saying, and that may be where you're at. I think the reason why they feel that way, I think the reason why some of you may feel that way is because we have wrongly painted a picture of evangelism as this attempt to impose Jesus on people. 
That's the picture that a lot of us have gotten of evangelism. It's the reason why a lot of times we get so nervous or it feels so cringy or it feels so awkward or it can feel like it feels like so much pressure or where some of us completely reject it and refuse to practice it because we've painted this picture in the church and shame on us for that, that we think that somehow evangelism is that it's our job to impose Jesus on people. But that's not what Jesus says in this passage at all. Go back and look at it. It says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. How did the Father send the Son? Jesus is saying, hey, as the Father, the same, the same motive, the same methods, the same mission that God sent me with, that's how I'm sending you. And God the Father did not send the Son to impose himself on anyone. As a matter of fact, read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go look in there. Jesus never imposes himself on anyone. He extends the invitation, the offer. He proposes himself to everyone along the way. And if people go, no thanks, he's like, all right. And so he's not imposing anything on anyone. As a matter of fact, if you wanna know how the father sent the son, Jesus actually tells us earlier in the gospel of John, if you go back to one of the most famous passages in all of scripture, everybody knows this verse. Even people that have never been to church before know this verse. This is what Jesus says to a man named Nicodemus about his the reason why he's come and the reason why the father sent him and how the father sent him. And so this guy named Nicodemus is going, why are you here? What are you about? What's your purpose? And Jesus answers him and he says this, and a lot of you know this. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever would believe in him, anyone and everyone that would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn, not to judge, not to point fingers, uh, not to look down on, not to berate, not to shame people into the kingdom. He says, he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through him. This is how God the Father sent Jesus the Son into the world. The motivation is right there. He says it's love. He says God so loved. That was his motivation in sending Jesus. He says he sent him in love. The motivation was love. And when love becomes our motivation, you guys, when love becomes our motivation, when your love for people and your desire for them to know the love of God becomes your motivation, evangelism takes on a totally different reason, uh, t- takes on a totally different context and you gain a new passion for it when it's, when it's motivated by love and your love for others begins to outweigh the, the fear of the outcome. Your love for others begins to outweigh the fear of the outcomes. And so you're less nervous about it It becomes less of a pushy thing. It becomes a little less awkward. It's still scary at times. But when love is the motivation, when you get that right, it changes everything else. And Jesus goes, that's the way God sent me and that's the way I'm sending you. Motivated by love. And he says, then the methods. He goes, the method right here, Jesus Jesus tells you. He says, he so loved that he gave. His method to evangelize was giving giving of himself. He said, I came to serve. I came to sacrifice, even laying down my life in order to share this message with you of God's love and his grace and his forgiveness. The way that I got the message out is through giving, through serving, through sacrificing, through sharing with my life and my words. That's how we get the message out. That's the method, right? That's the method. And so he says, this is how the father sent the son, motivated by love, giving of himself, serving, sharing, sacrificing on behalf of others. And he says, not to condemn the world, 
but rather to save. That's the mission, to see people enter into a saving relationship with Jesus, to see people enjoy relationship with God the Father, to receive forgiveness and hope in and through the person of Jesus. Jesus goes, that's, that's what I'm calling you to do. When you get that, that completely reframes evangelism and you begin to understand. When you understand that, that God has sent Jesus and that Jesus is sending us motivated by love to give of ourselves, to serve, to sacrifice, and to share his message with others so that they might know that they're loved, forgiven, and accepted by God. When you get that, then evangelism takes on a new meaning. It's no longer, we understand that it's no longer our job to impose Jesus on anyone, but rather it's our calling to in love propose Jesus to anyone and everyone because everyone deserves to know that they're loved, that they're forgiven, and that God wants a relationship with them. So it's not about imposing Jesus on anyone. Evangelism is about proposing Jesus though to everyone, which can still be intimidating at times, I get it which is why I love so much what Jesus does right here because I think he knows, all right, if you get your motives right, that's gonna take care of a lot of it, but you still gotta get out of this room and go, which could still be nerve wracking, could still be a little awkward, could still feel like, do I have what it takes? Which is why I love, this is what Jesus says. He says, and with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, we've all been sent. There's no such thing as an unsent Christian. But the good news is, is that we're not sent to go and do this work of sharing the good news of Jesus on our own, in our own strength, and in our own ability, and in our own power. We're sent in love, empowered by his Holy Spirit. He says, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit so that you know, uh, I'm gonna equip you for the task at hand so that you know you've got everything you need in me to do what I've called you to do. And that's amazing because the scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit will actually give us the words when we don't know what to say. The Holy Spirit will, will actually convict hearts so it's not your job, Christian, to change anybody. You don't have to do that. I think a lot of Christians, we need to quit trying to do the work of the Holy Spirit and get people to change, and we just need to point people to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit do his work. And so he says, the Holy Spirit will convict hearts. He says, the Holy Spirit will pray for you when you don't know what to pray for those people that you're trying to love and serve and reach. He goes, the Holy Spirit will pray for you when you run out of words. When you feel like you prayed every prayer and cried every tear, the Holy Spirit will, will continue to pray on your behalf. The Holy Spirit will give you the wisdom and the discernment to know when to speak up and when to shut up. He says, the Holy Spirit will actually gift you. The Holy Spirit gives you gifts so that you can do what Jesus has called you to do and be, what, be who Jesus has called you to be. And so he gives you spiritual gifts. It's not an introvert or extrovert thing. The, the spirit gifts each and every one of us for this task. And he says that also, ultimately, the Holy Spirit will help us to live in love more like Jesus by growing his attributes within us. They call this the fruit of the spirit, where your life literally begins to look like the Jesus you're pointing people to. So Jesus says, hey, I'm not sending you out here on your own, in your own strength and power, but I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. And then he ends with this weird little thing that's been hotly debated and there's some mystery in this last verse, but it's a part of the conversation and I didn't wanna leave it out because it would be easier to leave it out. I want you to see the whole conversation so you don't go read it later and go like, well, why didn't you talk about that part? But like here, here, this is what he says. He ends the conversation, he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. He says, and if you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven which makes it seem like he's telling them that they're the ones that, are, that have the power to forgive and not forgive. But we know from the scriptures that 
that's only God. And so it's like really confusing. Wait a minute, what? I thought Jesus was the forgiver of sins. And so there's been a lot of debate about that verse. Different Christians have interpreted it differently. Some Christians believe that that's like why, you know, there's, there needs to be pastors and priests as mediators and you need to confess your sins to another person so then you can be forgiven. That's not what I personally believe. There's a lot of other people that interpret this verse as Jesus is saying, and you can look at their body of work, the, the, the different believers along the way, these guys that received this message, they didn't go out and live that way. They went and preached a message that God had forgiven and that Jesus is the way to forgiveness and life in, with God. And so based on that, I think what Jesus is saying here is, hey, you've got the message of forgiveness. You've got the message of forgiveness. And if you go, people will receive it. And if you don't, they won't. And so you gotta go. You gotta go. I'm sending you out. You've got good news to proclaim. And I know it'll be scary and it'll be nerve wracking, but you gotta go so that they can know. And so Jesus points them outward. You gotta get out of the room. It can't just be about what's happening here. You gotta get out of the room, stay outward facing. And what's amazing, you guys, is that they went. And I'll wrap up here. He, they went and they did it. And they, in love, they went out and they, they gave and they served and they shared and they sacrificed. And it came at the cost of their comfort and their convenience. And for some of them, it came at the cost of their very lives, but they went and they did the work and they shared. And they shared this message of the gospel and they passed it on so that the next generation had it. And then that next generation had to do the same thing. And each generation afterwards has had to do the same thing. And now you guys, the baton has been passed or uh, to use our earlier example, the keys are in our hands. The question is, what are we gonna do with it? What are we gonna do with this good news of the gospel? Are we gonna keep it to ourselves in this room? Or are we gonna stay outward facing and share it? What are we gonna do with it? That's the question that we gotta wrestle with. That's the question that's been bothering me for the past couple months. The statistics say, you guys, that there is coming a generation that will neither know God nor of his works. And my prayer and my hope has been not on our watch, not on my watch, not while I'm pastoring here, not while Gwinnett Church exists in Gwinnett County, not on our watch. So we gotta go. We are sent by Jesus in love to share this good news. We gotta go. We can't stay here. We can't stay inward focused. This message that we talk about on Sundays has gotta make its way into our workplaces, into our neighborhoods, into our friendships, into our families. It's gotta go. We gotta stay outward facing. For the sake of our kids, for the sake of the next generation, for the sake of our community, for the sake of the world, we gotta go. We gotta be a, a go and be, come and see type of church. We gotta be an outward facing kind of church. We gotta be a, a, a sent church. We gotta be that kind of a people that shares the good news. We gotta be a good news sharing people because there's a world out there that needs to know that God loves them, forgives them, and wants a relationship with them. You see, you guys, for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, but God so loved Gwinnett that Jesus has sent us to share that news in our context. But what are we gonna do? I hope and I pray that we'll be those kind of people, good news people that shares and stays outward facing.
I'll continue to push us that way. I'll continue to ask God to push me that way. We're gonna stay that way. If you're here this morning and, and you were invited by somebody, I hope that what you heard this morning is that the reason why you were invited here is not because you're a project or a problem to be solved. You're not somebody's gold stars in heaven to, so they can try to get extra credit with God. The reason why they invited you here is because they love you and they want you to know that God loves you and he forgives you and he wants a relationship with you. And so I hope that you hear that this morning. I hope that you hear our heart in that. I hope you'll keep coming back. I hope you'll keep asking questions. I hope you'll keep leaning in. And if you wanna know more about what it looks like to follow Jesus, I hope that you'll have a conversation with us. I'll be right over there in the gallery if you wanna talk ever, any Sunday after service. So we're just so glad that you're here. Gwinnett Church, God so loved the world he sent Jesus, but he so loved our community that he has sent us. The keys are in our hands. What are we going to do with it? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you loved us and you sent us Jesus. Thank you for his goodness and his grace. Um, thank you, yeah, thank you that you weren't content to sit in heaven and force us to work to you, but instead you came to us. And I pray that we would have that same mindset. Would you give us your heart um, for our family, for our friends, for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for our community? Would you fill us with your love um, and send us out? Uh, to, to serve and to share and to sacrifice on behalf of others so that they might know that you love them, that you forgive them, that you want relationship with them. Help us to be those kind of people, good news people uh, that share the gospel and we don't keep it to ourselves. We love you, we trust you, we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. And everybody said... Your
Within your presence, I speak to you. 